0: Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Horsham. Morning. 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 Um, So yeah, those of you who don't know me, my name is Kate. Sorry. As you can tell, I'm carrying a small person, so I get a bit out of breath. It's also why I've got this chair. Um, So yeah, my name's Kate. I'm married to Colin um, together we're uh, Horsham congregation leaders. I actually um, I work for the NHS myself. Uh, usually on a Sunday I'm um, out with our little one, um, but I'm here with you this morning, which is really nice. Um, so uh, yes, so we've been looking at Romans, haven't we? Yeah. I think. <laughs> Good. (laughs) Means I'm here on the right day. Um, And last few weeks, we've been looking at Romans 8. And we have jumped around a little bit, haven't we? We're sort of looking at different bits. Um, And we've had some really excellent messages from um, Pastor Rohan, Pastor Clive, Jen. um, And a few weeks ago, I just want you to cast your mind back um, when uh, the lovely Sarah Urquhart led us in a really brilliant um, morning of encounter. Who was here? Remember that? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? Um, We had a very brilliant time as a family. Um, Our daughter, Ari especially loved the um, the biscuit station. I think that was her favourite bit. I think it was probably mine as well. Um, And before we had that encounter morning, um, Sarah gave us that brilliant message about um, what it means that God is our Father, um, that we're chosen, we've been selected, um, that we're adopted, that God has taken us as his own. It was brilliant. And um, that leads us on really, really nicely to today, what we're going to look at today. So we're just going to start by praying. Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet. It shows us which way to go. Father, thank you that your word shows us what is you and what is not you. Father, that your word divides between soul and spirit. And this morning, Lord God, we open our hearts, we unfold our hearts before you and before your word and what you have to say to us. Just right now, just um, ask you to just say to God, if you are, just say, I'm open. I'm open to to what you want to say to me. Just open your heart to him to hear what he is. Father, I thank you this morning for clarity, that you bring clarity, that you bring peace and you bring freedom, Father. In your name, amen. 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 So um, we're going to start with a bit of a scripture reading just to kind of give us context of what we're looking at. Um, We're going to read a bit of the beginning of Romans 8. We're going to read it from the truth version because I think it just puts it so clearly. Um, But before we do, I just want to give you a little bit of context of Romans 7. So if we remember Romans 7, Paul is describing this internal battle um, of wanting to please God, but constantly failing (laughs) and getting it wrong and being a slave to sin. And he finishes um, in one of the last verses saying, can you see how wretched I felt about myself? Anyone ever (laughs) felt like that? Was there anyone who could save me from this terrible predicament? Yes, thank God. And his name is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ah, I love that verse. So that's, that's the context. So if we read, go on to the beginning of Romans 8, we're going to read uh, verses 1, 3 and 4, and I think it will come up behind me. How wonderful to be liberated now from all the condemnation this continual failure brought. God dealt with that by sending his own son to become man, to live among sinners, and then to make his life a sinless offering to God on our behalf. Through his action, God dealt with the condemnation under which all sinners live. In Christ, all the demands God expressed in the law he gave were fulfilled. Yeah. So now we live in the good of what he accomplished. He succeeded where we had all failed miserably so that now we can live as if we had succeeded. His success has become our success so long as we no longer live in the weakness of our old sinful nature, but now live led by and filled by God's spirit. And we're gonna fast forward to, to verses 15 to 17. When he came to live in you, he did not lead you back to your past life. Thank goodness for that. Making you a slave of fear again. No, you received the spirit that enables you to live as a son of God. You can call him father, my father. The Holy Spirit urges us to remember that we are God's children. To know this deep, deep in our hearts. For if we know we are his children, then we know also that we are his heirs. Yes, we are heirs of God and inherit all his blessings along with Christ. We may have to face cost in being obedient to him, but this is only so that we will also share eternally in his glory. Amen. Ah, I love that. So yeah, I just wanted to give some context. There's three things we're going to look at this morning that we're gonna pick out from those, those verses. Living without condemnation, living in his success, and living as his adopted children. Before we do that, I'm going to share a a very pared-down version of my testimony of how I came to know God. Very, very, very pared-down, just in the interest of time. Um, And the reason being is is not so much for the actual testimony of how I came to know God, but because of what happened afterwards, and you'll see what I mean. Um, So I I had a relationship with God when I was very young. I was filled with the Spirit. When I was very young, I heard God. Um, But for various reasons, I lost that belief in God, when I was about 11-ish. And I started to make some pretty bad decisions, um, which which started to damage me. And I just, I feel it's right, this is a bit of a random aside, but I feel it's right to share that um, there are lots of times when I could have made much worse decisions, but there was always something inside of me that was like, no, that's not a good idea. and kind of wasn't like, no, you must not do that. But it was like a really gentle, small, quiet voice saying, that's not a good idea. And so there were lots of times I could have made worse decisions, but I didn't. Um, and that was because of that quiet voice. Um, and I realise now, looking back on it, that um, although I walked away from God, he never walked away from me. Um, and he, can, he, he allowed me the freedom to make, those, make decisions even though they weren't good for me. But he also um, was sort of quietly saying, you know, that's not a good idea, because he knew the far-reaching consequences those decisions could have had. And I just felt like it was right to share this morning, in case anyone has ever felt that way, that maybe they've walked away from God, um, he doesn't walk away from you. Um, So that's a bit of an aside. So I started to make these bad decisions, which, yeah, were were quite damaging to me. And I began to experience a really quite extreme self hatred. Um, and it came out in various ways. Some of those included, um, I used to starve myself for days at time. Um, I had very, very intense thoughts of harming myself, of ending my life. And I had a really weirdly deep hatred of everyone. <laughs> Just everyone, everything. Um, and by the time I got to the age of 14, I was in a very, very dark place. Um, and I was really at the end of what I could cope with. I was quite, getting quite desperate. Um, and that year, in the summer, I went to faith camp. For those of you who don't know, faith camp was um, the, the year summer camp that the Kingdom of Faith used to run. Um, and uh, that year I was in the, uh, in the MOVE, which was the um, venue for the teenage kind of years. And there was one night where Pastor Eric Casto was preaching. A lot of you will, will know Pastor Eric. Um, And uh, I was sat at the back, I was one of those, not listening, dressed in a scary-looking manner. Um, And uh, and suddenly, my ears pricked up because he said, there are people in here who are struggling with thoughts of harming themselves um, or of ending their life, and I want to invite you to come forward to pray, for for me to pray for you. Um, And uh, I was like, why not? Might as well. Um, you know, I've been dragged here. <laughs> well, not dragged here, but you know what I mean. I might as well. It's kind of my, my last resort. So I went forward. Um, Pastor Eric prayed for me. And uh, I felt absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. Went back to my tent in utter despair. That's, this was my last resort and it's failed. Um, and I remember waking up the next morning, though. And I felt weird. <laughs> it's the only way, and it took me quite a while to be able to verbalise what had happened. But that self-hatred that had been crushing me had suddenly gone. Wow. And I'd woken up without it. It was really weird. And I kind of felt not myself, because I was so used to having it there. Um, and it was just like, yeah, something had been crushing me for, for all this time. And suddenly that weight just came off. And um, over the coming months, I found that those... I didn't want to starve myself anymore. Those thoughts of harming myself or of not being here anymore had just gone. They just weren't there anymore. Um, I didn't hate myself and I didn't hate other people. (laughs) It was great. And I began to actually feel joy. Um, And I started to really follow God with my heart and started to... um, that, That still small voice that had never left, I started to listen to it more and it started to become clearer, and I started to make different different decisions. Um, But the reason I'm sharing this is, as I say, is because of actually what happened a couple of years later. Um, And uh, I was about 16, I think, and um, my sister met the man who she would later end up marrying. Um, And I was just really blown away by this man who was just really kind really gentle, just perfect match for my sister. Um, and, and both of them, I've got two older sisters, both of them had lived lives where they'd been very faithful to God and I really hadn't. Um, and I remember very, very vividly what my prayer was when, when I met this man. And I said, Father, thank you so much for this man that you've given to my sister. Um, it's just, you know, it's amazing. You're so good. Um, I know that you can't give me a man like that because of all the things I've done. That's okay. I understand. <laughs> a little bit of lack of understanding. And it was a genuine prayer. It wasn't a self-pity prayer. It wasn't, oh, woe is me. It was like, to me, I was surrendering. I was like, it's okay, God. I know I've really messed up. I know you can't do for me what you've done for other people because of all the stupid things I've done. That's okay. I still <laughs> I'm still going to follow you, or whatever. Um, thankfully... As you can probably guess, that's not the end of the story, and God didn't leave me there. Um, But I'm going to come back to it, I'm going to come back to it. Um, So let's think about this first point then, living without condemnation. So Romans 8, I think for probably a lot of us, is one of my my favourite chapters in the Bible. It's got so much, isn't it? You could spend weeks and weeks and weeks unpacking it. Um, And it reminds me of one of my favourite films, um, who in here has seen Avengers Endgame? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, I'll try and make this brief, so as not to kind of bore you to tears. Um, Endgame is a film by Marvel Studios. And uh, if you know those, the Marvel films, they had 20 films, didn't they, where they introduced all these different superheroes. And there's this story arc that kind of builds and builds and builds and builds over over twenty films, and there's this villain that's kind of in the background orchestrating everything, and it all builds up to the twenty-first film. I think it's the twenty-first film, which is Infinity War, where there's this big battle, and those of you who've seen it will know the scene I'm talking about. There's a scene at the end where it's like all hope is lost, and I didn't know when we went to see the cinema. I didn't know there was another film afterwards. So when the credits rolled, I was like. No! <laughs> I was, like, devastated. And then I found out, oh there is another film, but I've got to wait a year to see it. To find out what happens, there's this moment of, ah oh, all hope is lost. And then Endgame happens, the last film in that kind of series of films. And there's this moment, again, it's a very powerful scene, and you'll know what it is if you've seen it, and I won't say, because I don't want to ruin it if you ever decide to watch it, if you haven't. Um, there's this scene where everyone in the cinema went, Yes! I think even some people stood up and were like, yeah. It was a really, really powerful scene. And the reason why it's such a powerful scene is because it's this build-up of all of the 21 films before it, of all this story going along and everything is building up, it's building up, it's building up. And then there's this moment where all hope is lost. And then that scene in Endgame happens, which just makes everyone go, this is amazing. It's a culmination of everything that's happened before. And Romans 8 feels like that for me. That the Old Testament and the whole of history has been building up to what happened when Jesus died on the cross and then rose again. And Romans 8 is explaining to us what happens. You know, when Jesus died, I wonder if it was in a, you know, in a small way, a little bit of how it felt to me when in an Infinity War, when all hope is lost. But then there's, Romans, there's Jesus rises from the dead, and there's Romans 8, which always, makes you go, always. yes! <laughs> I, I, just, I love Romans 8. And to me, it's like Paul is saying, OK, you remember how Jesus came to earth, and he did all those incredible things, and then he died, but then he rose again, and then he ascended into heaven. And then we received his spirit, and then we started seeing amazing things happening. This is why. This is the explanation of why that can happen. Romans 8 is explaining that. The whole of history, past, present, and future, revolves around Jesus and what he did, which I think is just amazing. So if we recap that first verse, from this time from the NIV. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as I say, we're thinking about what does it mean to live without condemnation? Firstly, what is condemnation? So you establish that somebody's guilty. You sentence that guilty person with punishment. Um, And we've been guilty. We've been sentenced to punishment, but the punishment has been passed on to someone else. We're no longer condemned to that punishment. That's what it means to have no condemnation. And it can be difficult for us to get our heads around that because although, you know, if we, if we love God, we're chasing after him, we're chasing to be more like him, um, we're, we're, but we're not perfect. <laughs> and we still sin, we still mess up. So we struggle with this, how is it that I'm, I'm still not there but there's no condemnation and we struggle to reconcile that. Does anyone else ever feel like that? We still struggle with the sin. We still becoming more like him, but we no longer struggle with the condemnation for that sin. Amen. There's a really, really brilliant commentary by Matthew Henry, who was a minister in the 1700s, and I think it might come up on the screen, I'm just going to read it, a section of it where he talks about this, this kind of, trying to get, wrap our heads around this. Um, Paul does not say there is no accusation against them, for this there is, but the accusation is thrown out and the indictment quashed. He does not say there is nothing in them that deserves condemnation, for this there is. And they see it and own it and mourn over it and condemn themselves for it, but it shall not be their ruin. He does not say there is no cross, no affliction to them or no displeasure in the affliction. For this there may be, but no condemnation. They may be chastened of the Lord, but not condemned with the world. In Christ, God does not only not condemn them, but is well pleased with them. Thank you, Father. Isn't that amazing? Um, And I just want to go back to this this, um, phrase we use in Christ. There is no condemnation for for those who are in Christ. Now, I used to really struggle with that phrase. Um, I'm quite a concrete person, I don't really like abstract concepts. I find it hard to get my head round. I like to know exactly what it means, what it means for me, how I do it, you know, I'm very, very concrete. And I used to really struggle with that kind of abstract concept of being in Christ. Christ is in me and I'm in Christ. Like, I get it, but I kind of don't at the same time. Anyone else ever felt like that? Yeah, yeah Good, it's not just me. Um, and I really struggled with it until I, I had our daughter, um, gave birth to our daughter. I just want to share with you something that happened. And don't worry, not a graphic birth story. <laughs> or anything like that, so you don't need to um, do this. Um, but just something that I experienced. Um, it was a long, difficult time, um, and I was about 26 hours in. And, uh, and I had this really strange experience where time suddenly really slowed down, like really, really, really slowed down. Um, and I remember I could hear Colin speaking to the midwife, but I couldn't comprehend what he was saying. You know, if you've ever heard like, a recording of someone speaking and it's completely slowed down, you know, don't have a clue what they're saying. It was like that. Um, I couldn't talk, I couldn't move, because it was like I was completely disconnected from, from what was going on. Um, and this apparently is not, it's not an uncommon experience for, for women in, in, uh, in childbirth. Um, I'd, learn, I'd spend all this time learning breathing exercises, which had really helped me deal with the pain i couldn 't do those i couldn 't because i just couldn 't control anything i just um, i couldn 't focus on anything i couldn 't think about anything it, and it was like everything had been stripped away. Um, the world around me, um, my my own thoughts, my own connection to my body, even time itself had kind of gone, and I, it was just this kind of nothingness. Um, and at this point, as I say, I couldn't, I couldn't think about anything. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't focus on anything except Jesus. That was the only thing. I was just sat there in this weird space. I don't know where I was, but going, Jesus. And it was like everything else had gone, but he was there. Um, and I realised, if you stripped everything away, my family, my friends, my personality, my thoughts, my deeds, my successes, my failures, my efforts. At the core of me is not me, it's Jesus. And who's Jesus? The Messiah, the everlasting one, the King of Kings who became man and lived a perfect life on my behalf. So at the core of me is not all of my failures rotting away. It's not the things that I've done. It's not the things that have been done to me. It's Jesus. Uh, which is amazing. And that's if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, the same is true for you. If you stripped everything else away at the core of you, would not be all the stuff that you've messed up, would not be all the stuff that's been done to you, that you've, expe- like, it would not be any of that. All of your failures, all of your success, even your successes, it wouldn't even be those. It would be Jesus. That's what it means for us to be in Christ and Christ to be in me. And that is why there is no condemnation. (laughs) Galatians 4, verse 5 says, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And that verse suddenly made sense. I was like, ah, that's what it means. And I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. (laughs) Your foundation, your core of who you are, what makes you up, is Jesus. It's not all the stuff that would have condemned you. So that's living without condemnation. That's our first point. So then if we go on to our second point, living in his success. So we know through Jesus God dealt with the condemnation under which we lived. What does that mean? mean for us day to day. Again, you can see I'm quite a concrete person. I like to know what things mean. Um, So we're just going to remind ourselves of Romans 8 verses 3 to 4, this time from the NLT version. Um, God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. And I love how um, Pastor Colin put it in the Truth Version. He says, and we read it earlier, his success has become our success. Jesus met fully all of God's demands. All of God's laws, He lived perfectly on my behalf, on your behalf. But wh- again, <laughs> what does that mean, day to day? Well, just want you to imagine for a moment, if you want to close your eyes, you can, that you have lived a perfect life. You have been like Jesus. You have um, pleased God perfectly. You've done. You've you've um, lived perfectly according to all of His uh, demands, all of His laws. Um, and, yeah, you've, you've lived a perfect life. And if that were the case, what kind of peace would you walk through day to day, knowing that you were completely right with God, that there was nothing, there was nothing wrong, but there was nothing in between you? What kind of confidence and assurance would you have? Because you would know, wouldn't you, God's going to protect me, God's with me, God's going to guide me. God's going to provide for me. He's pleased with me. Crazy thing. That's actually the reality. We can, even though we've messed up. Because his success has become our success, we can walk through life with that peace. As if we had lived perfectly, because Jesus did it, on our behalf and that can feel a bit presumptuous um, to me anyway I can feel like that's presumptuous like, oh, maybe it's being a bit British I don't know but this that's how God wants us to live he wants us to live with that peace with that assurance that's what it means to live by faith Amen. in faith faith in what Jesus has accomplished what he's done and it's actually this that empowers us to live more like him we sometimes try to flip it down around don't we So that's living in his success. Lastly, living as his adopted child. And this is really what I feel the main thing that God wants to speak to us about today. Um, God didn't just stop with taking on our sin and failure. The Bible says he adopted us. Why did he do that? Um, So to understand why, we're going to unpack a little bit of what it means to, to adopt. Um, but we're going to look at it in the context of Roman law. And I wonder if when Paul, who, was, who wrote the Book of Romans, who was a Roman citizen, I wonder if he had this context in the back of his mind. And you'll see what I mean. Um, so, in Roman law, adoption uh, was the legal action of taking a child into your family with the purpose of treating that adopted child as their own. Sounds kind of like our adoption. Um, it meant giving the adopted child all the same rights and privileges as a natural child. Here's where it maybe doesn't sound quite so like what we might think of with adoption. An adopted child loses all of the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of their old family. Their old life would have been considered completely wiped out. And all the debts that they might have had in their old family were cancelled. And they gained the rights of their new father's estate. They became equal with um, the other sons and daughters in the family. And they became a co-heir. By society, they were regarded as a new person with a new life and a new family. Does it sound familiar? (laughs) I wonder if Paul had this in his mind when he was saying, we've been adopted because that sounds a lot like what Jesus has done for us. So I've got a question for you and I I believe it's a question that God wants to ask us. Do you ever feel that God has not so much adopted you, but he's more fostering you? And I'll explain what I mean. And to to do that, I'm going to compare fostering and adopting, just for the purpose of unpacking that question. But I just want to make it absolutely crystal clear that in comparing them, I am not putting it down (laughs) on fostering, or just how important and incredible it is. So I just want to make that absolutely crystal clear. Um, Fostering is an incredible thing that this we need more of. Um, So yeah, I just want to make that clear. But just to compare. So, with fostering, a foster parent is looking after the child. But the local authority and the birth parents actually hold the ultimate responsibility for that child. And as we know, it's generally a shorter-term arrangement. In comparison with adoption, adoptive parents have full parental responsibility, and the child is a permanent member of that family. Um, on the Capstan foster care website, it says adoption is a forever deal and you cannot have a second go. <laughs> um, there are... and It, it explains there are, if you want to adopt, there are legal implications, social implications, emotional implications. And adoption is financially costly. So it's saying on this website, you have to count the cost before you choose to adopt to make sure that you can pay it, essentially. So let's go back to that question. Do you ever, do you ever feel that actually God's maybe fostering you, he's not adopted you? Do you ever feel that God's commitment to you is a bit short term? That he's not actually fully responsible for you? That maybe it will end if things don't work out? That you actually still belong to your old family? Um, and what I mean by old family, that could be your old life, sin, failure, Condemnation, shame. Does that know what I mean? But the Bible doesn't say he's fostering us. It says he has adopted us. Notice the tenses. We don't say I I have fostered if you're currently fostering. And we don't say I am adopting if you've already adopted. And there's a reason for that. Because when we say I am fostering, we use the present tense because it's something that can change. But with adoption, we say, I have adopted, because it can't. It can't change. It's not Mm short-term. It's a forever deal. He intentionally chose you and permanently adopted you into his family, having already counted the cost, the full cost. Ephesians 1 says before the world was even created, he counted the cost and decided that he was going to send his son jesus to yeah to rescue you he paid that full cost in jesus in adopting you he's taken full responsibility for your care he's cancelled all of your debts and has given you all the same rights and privileges and inheritance as jesus christ his success has become our success so we're going to come back to that question, because I think it's a really important question. Um, because sometimes I think we can live in, not live in his success, but live in our failure. And sometimes we can hold on to the debts of our old family when actually they've been cancelled. Um, just going to read uh, Romans 8, verse 15 to 17, and just unpack a couple of bits. So, and this is from the NLT. So, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. That word fearful uh, means to withdraw in fear due to feeling inadequate. Anyone ever felt like that? Before God, especially. (laughs) Instead, it says we haven't received that spirit. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. And that word call is a really interesting word. Um, Sometimes it's translated cry. We cry Abba Father. But the word in the Greek is kraso, which is... This is where a long word to say. Onomatopoetic term... Mm -hmm. of a raven's piercing cry. So how we would go, ka! The Greeks would have gone, kraso, or something like that. Um, And it kind of means an urgent scream. Um, And it's used a lot to describe people who are afraid. If you look at the Bible and see where this word kraso is used, it's usually used when somebody's really scared. Which is interesting because we've just read we've received a spirit that, we've not received a spirit that makes us fearful, that makes us withdraw, but we have received a spirit by which we can, krazo, ah, urgent scream, abba father, yeah. which is really interesting. Um, and it makes me think of, you know, when, when our daughter Ari, she's hurt herself, mummy, urgent scream, runs towards me. We've received a spirit that makes us run towards God, yeah. not run away. Yeah. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That, that Where it says joins with our spirit, it, it means um, it bears witness. Um, the, the spirit of God serves as, as evidence or proof that it's true that we are God's children. Yeah. And again, in, in uh, the truth version, it says his spirit urges us to remember. Why do you need to urge someone to remember something? It's because they're going to forget it, and it's important. Colin needs to urge me to remember to put sun cream on because I'm rubbish at remembering to do it, and it's important to do it. So God needs to, God, God's spirit urges us to remember that we're his children. Why does he need to do that? Well, as humans, we tend to default to, um, I do right, and then I'm accepted. That's our default. That just tends to be what we go to. Um, Timothy Keller, who's... Um, brilliant Christian apologist and and writer and speaker. Um, In one of his sermons I was listening to the other day, he says, because we default to that, every day we need to claw our way back. This is what he said, claw our way back to the truth, which is that we are his adopted children. That we we need to claw it back to the right way around, not I do right and so I'm accepted, but the other way around. We need to claw our way back to the fact that it's our position as a child of God that enables us. To live a Christian life. We need to start from that place. If we try to bypass, if we try to bypass that, knowing that position, knowing that acceptance, knowing there's no condemnation, if we try to bypass that and get to the acceptance without that, we're just going to get nowhere. (laughs) We can't bypass it. We must go through that bit. Last verse. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Everything that Christ inherits, I inherit. And that's a whole message (laughs) in itself. Again, my concrete brain is going, but what does that mean? But we won't go there, otherwise we'll be here for a long time. Um, And then lastly, I just wanna go back to this Abba Father. And as we know, this can, you know, it can be a difficult concept to know God as Father. And it will usually depend On what our own father is or was like. So I'm just going to ask you to do something for a moment. Um, If it's not unhelpful, if if you think it would be unhelpful, please don't don't do it. Um, Just for a moment, just in your mind, think about the words that you would use to describe your father as a father. Just for a few, just for a few moments. Me for drinking. So maybe they were really positive words, which is great. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they were somewhere in between. Now, if we look at the words used to describe our Heavenly Father, this is taken from Floyd McClung's book, The Father, Heart of God. I think it will come up. Ah, hopefully you can still see it mm-hmm. over my head, but I'll read it just in case. So the words used to describe our Heavenly Father patient, considerate, holy, discerning, compassionate, sensitive, caring, tender, gracious, forgiving, just, loving, kind, merciful, thoughtful, generous, powerful, wise, mighty. And there are Bible verses that come with that in the book, which I haven't put on. Um, Now, i ask you to imagine... if you were asked to describe your earthly father, imagine these being the words that spring to mind. Maybe they were, which is great. But if not, how differently would you feel about your heavenly father if these are the words you use to describe your earthly father? Um, Because we tend to think our heavenly father is a reflection of our earthly father, but not so. Um, Our earthly fathers and mothers are meant to be a reflection of the perfect love of our heavenly father, but that doesn't always happen. So just to have that in mind, that this is what our heavenly father is like. Um, And then just to come to that phrase, Abba Father, or Abba Pater, as it would have been written. So Abba is the Aramaic, Pater is the Greek. And I always used to wonder, why have they put both in there? Why not just put it in Greek? Because the rest of that book is in Greek. Why have they plonked an Aramaic term in there? And the the thinking is is that the Greek-speaking Jews added the equivalent in their own language. But if you just had Pater in there, you would miss... The depth of meaning conveyed by the word "Abba." We know that "Abba" is um, probably we know that ter- "Abba" is a term of endearment by a beloved child, reflecting an affectionate, dependent relationship. And sometimes it's kind of compared to the English word "daddy" um, because of the intimacy that's described. But the word "daddy" also doesn't go anywhere near describing the depth of meaning of the word "Abba." Because Abba does not just convey intimacy, but obedience, the two coming together. We don't have a word where if you say, if, if Ari says, Daddy, to Colin, yes, it conveys the intimacy, but it doesn't convey that relationship of you and my father, and I obey you, I submit to you. Abba does. Um, in Mark 14, Jesus uses this Abba Father. He says, Abba Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And he's using that word Abba because he's submitting. Yeah. There's that intimacy, but also obedience. And obedience can make us go, that word. Ooh. <laughs> um, and why is that? Because obedience to a parental figure can be scary. But it's only as scary as that parent is imperfect. And this is about our Heavenly Father, who is perfect, who loves us perfectly, has our best interests at heart, and decided before he even created the world that he was going to sacrifice himself to rescue you. So this is about a perfect Heavenly Father. And I would like to suggest that intimacy without obedience is even more scary. If Ari is about to run out into a busy road and I go, nah, whatever. <laughs> I'm not being very good. <laughs> you know, that's not good. That's scary. That's dangerous. Yeah. Intimacy and obedience with a father figure, that's that's really special. That's where you have a really special relationship. Um, and the fact that we receive God's spirit when he adopted us is what enables us to call him Abba. So it's receiving his spirit that enables both the intimacy and the obedience. So we've gone through our three points, living without condemnation, living in his success and living as his adopted children. So I'm now just going to go back to the testimony I shared earlier. Um, So as you remember, I prayed that very interesting prayer of, you know, I've done all these terrible things, so, you know, I understand you can't. Bless me, and the way you've blessed other people, that's OK, God, I get it. Um, but as I say, thankfully, God didn't leave me there. <laughs> he didn't leave me with that complete lack of understanding. Um, I didn't understand at the time that the sentence of punishment that would have condemned me had been, already been passed to somebody else. Yes. I didn't understand that I had already lost all of the debts and responsibilities of my old family, and I had gained all of the inheritance, rights and privileges of my new family. I didn't understand yet that I could live in his success and not in my failure. But of course, God started to show me these things. And little did I know or understand the completeness of God's forgiveness towards me, nor the immense and unfathomable riches of his grace towards me as his adopted chosen child. And what's more, he showered me with kindness. And the immensely kind, patient, considerate man whom God did give me, who blows me away every day because of just how much I don't deserve him, is a drop in the ocean. Colin is a drop in the ocean of God's grace. As amazing as he is, he's a drop in the ocean of God's grace. And he pales in comparison, no (laughs) offence, pales in comparison to the inheritance that I have in Jesus. And that kind of blows my mind. Um, And just an important point, that's not to say that God's love for us is measured by our good experiences. Being God's child does not give you immunity from suffering, trials, difficult times. That's a whole other message as well. But we can walk through them differently. Because we know we have a hope that goes far beyond our life on earth, which is over very quickly. And we know that our Heavenly Father works all things together for our good. That's what really makes... I mean, there's lots of things about suffering and and how it's different for us, but um, how we experience it differently. But for me, that's kind of the key thing. So in a moment, we're going to respond and we're going to ask ourselves a few questions. Is there any way in which I am holding on to the debts of my old family my old life, whatever, however you want to think of it? Am I under the impression that God is not so much... He hasn't so much adopted me, he's more fostering me? That his commitment to me isn't eternal, permanent? Do I know what my rights and privileges are as his adopted child? These are the questions we're going to ask ourselves in a moment. And Before we do, I just want to share a picture I had a few weeks ago um, when we were during the time of worship and I had a picture that we were were in the throne room of God and um, if you imagine like this is the throne, God's throne here and we were all out here and we were worshipping and there were some people who were like right here, right at the front and then there were some people who were kind of like over the back in the corner as far away as they could get and they were worshipping but they were far away and I felt like God was saying is that for lots of us we know this truth we know the truth of, you know, that we're adopted, that we're accepted, and for some of us, it's deep in our hearts. Sorry, and so we're right here. But for other of us, we know it, but we feel like we're second rate, second rate son or a second rate daughter. So we go to the back. No, I don't mean physically, but I mean in here. Um, and God was—I just felt like God was saying. Um, You're either condemned or you're not. You're either in Christ or you're not. There's nothing in between. (laughs) So therefore, there are no second-rate sons or daughters. Therefore, everyone is here, can be here. We don't need to hide towards back. So we're going to respond now. So um, I'm going to ask you to stand. And um, as you do, um, if, you, if you look on your, your um, piece of paper... Uh, on your t- piece of paper. On your table, there are some bits of paper. And if you take one each... Um, and on this, on this piece of paper are some questions. And we're going to take a bit of time to uh, listen to God individually. So we're not going to do this in groups, um, but individually between you and God. Listen to what god is saying and process you know what we've what we've heard um, and just spend a bit of time worshipping but listening what you know what is god saying to me through these questions and you've got some pens on your table and just writing down what you feel the answers are to these questions what is god saying to you and while we do that we get some worship music is going to play um, for those watching on the stream the stream is going to end in a moment um, but those leading the service will have these questions ready for you, so you can go ahead and do it as well. And after about 10 minutes, so we're not going to do it for a long time, so I really encourage you to kind of jump in. Um, Pastor Jonathan is going to come up, and we're going to take communion here and in our respective congregations. And if you're watching at home, I really encourage you to take communion as well. If your kids, um, if kids groups finish, please do um, allow them to come in and take communion with you as a family. And there's a reason why we're going to take communion, and this is because um, I mean there's such a richness of meaning in communion, Um, and one of one of the things is the interesting ways in which it parallels betrothal uh, ceremonies in the Jewish culture of the day. So in a betrothal ceremony, a bridegroom to be would present the bride to be with a cup of wine, and if she was saying yes, I will marry you, she would drink the wine. The bridegroom would then go off, um, and he would build an extension, essentially, on his father's house. And he couldn't marry his bride until his father said, yes, that extension's good enough. And then he would, as soon as his father said, yep, that's good enough, the bridegroom would go off, get the bride, and then instantly go and get married. So the bridegroom didn't know when it was going to be. Does it sound a little bit familiar? Um, But yeah, essentially, when we're taking communion, we're remembering what Jesus has accomplished which includes what we've been talking about this morning, includes loads of stuff, but it includes fulfilling the law for us, freeing us from condemnation, so that what we were saying earlier, that when you, if you stripped everything away, at the core of you is Jesus and not, not your stuff. Um, that he's made the way to, uh, for us to be adopted into his family. And we're, it's like in that bridegroom-bride um, picture, it's like we're reaffirming our yes, when we take the wine, to joining His family, to being God's child, um, so that's why we're, we're saying goodbye to the old family. We're reaffirming, yes, we are in God's family. Amen. So I'm going to pray, and then um, the music, the worship music, is going to come on. And as I say, just encourage you to just spend a couple of minutes worshiping, and then um, you know, listen to God, what He's saying to you, and write some things down. Please feel free, when that happens, to sit. Stand, whatever feels best. Um, but I felt like we should stand to kind of signify we're, we're responding um, for now. Um, so we're going to pray. Father, thank you so much for the richness of what you've done. Father, I think we could never stop discovering what you have done. Mm and discovering the immensity, the, just the way your love has, has accomplished so much, you have accomplished so much for us. And Father God, I pray that this morning you would reveal to us what we need to say goodbye to. That you would, Lord, that you would, um, where there's been confusion or uncertainty about being your child. Father in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord that that confusion would end today. Father God, that there will be a deep knowledge in our hearts, that your spirit where your spirit is urging us to remember that we are your children. Father I God, I pray that that would be deep deep deep, deep in our hearts, that every day we'd be able to walk in the knowledge that we have your peace, that we are at peace with you, that we would have that assurance, that confidence. Father God, that we would not walk anymore in our failure, but we would walk in your success, knowing that we live in your success, Father. Thank you, Father God. And you know, if if, if you don't know the answers to these questions yet, if you're going through this and you don't know, don't panic, that's okay. Because God will show you in his time. Amen, amen. But I believe that this morning, he's, for, for some of us, he is going to want to speak to us amen, amen. about what, he, what he's saying to you. Say goodbye to that. It's time to say goodbye to that amen. and step into this. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.